0: The annual Collegiate Rites of Spring at Fort Lauderdale come to a reluctant but inevitable end. The combination of suds and sun is the highlight of the week-long frolic by vacationing college students. Some 300 persons were arrested, all on minor charges. Most of them, however, were not college students. This year's exodus brought some 30,000 revelers to Lauderdale and despite two beer can throwing skirmishes with police, there was nothing resembling the riots of 61. From the beach, a non-stop trip back to the books. There's another form of neocolonialism, one that's less critiqued, one that's actually been pitched to us as an ideal avenue for Caribbean development, tourism. Tourism in many post-colonial developing areas has grown at a reckless rate. First you have a few intrepid tours who discover the location. In response, the local community tries its best to adapt to the needs of their new visitors. More visits leads to articles and Instagram posts and YouTube videos, and soon the stream of niche travelers gives way to a flood. Then come the foreign investors, to build up tourism infrastructure and make the location more palatable to mainstream tourists. This is how foreign interests come to dominate the tourism industries of developing countries. In that sense, it can be argued that the colonial relationship has persisted beyond independence. There continues an unfair balance of power, with island nations focus on catering to the needs of developed countries. There's a series of mysterious deaths. Americans with plans to visit the Dominican Republic are now reconsidering their vacations because at least six US tourists have died there in the last 12 months. I'm going to have fun and
1: you're going to have fun. We're all going to have so much fucking fun, we'll need plastic surgery to remove our goddamn
0: smiles.
2: Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about now on patreon.com forward slash speak all evil. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hi. Great, how are you? I'm great. Thank you very much. Uh, my mind is uh, wandering to where most of our minds wander up here in the uh, most northeastern part of the country. Come this time of year, everybody starts counting the days until their vacation. So this week, we're talking about vacation horror We're gonna kick off with my pick. I chose Hostel, from 2005, written and directed by Eli Roth. This is a rental on just about any platform right now. This is a pretty simple story. Um, Two American bros, Paxton and John, set off on a European backpacking vacation. They meet up with uh, an Icelandic bro and really hit it off, named Oli. and the three of them begin carousing across Europe. They're looking for the party, looking for women, looking for drugs, um, they get a little bit disillusioned by being constantly surrounded by other American tourists, especially in Amsterdam. So on a tip from a friendly local, quote-unquote, they decide to scrap their whole itinerary, and they're going to head east to Slovakia, specifically a small town outside of Bratislava, where there's a hostel um, that they've been told they'll be welcomed by bevies of horny babes who love... (laughs) Foreigners, they especially love Americans, and this is going to be the sex-fueled Bacchanal of their dreams. Of course, what actually happens is they go from uh, being sex tourists to being sex tourism workers uh, of the Diane variety. I think Hostel is a perfect horror movie. I think it's a past, present, and future classic, and the greatest Americans abroad horror movie of all time. Kevin... (laughs) You're a hostile guy, right?
1: I'm very hostile. Yeah, come at me, bro. What about this movie, though? We knew that. It's a great movie. This is one that I revisit often. When Trent picked it, I already knew. This was on HBO for a long time. uh, Hostel 1 and 2 was. So I had watched it definitely in 2020. I watched this movie fairly frequently. Uh also Trent it's free on Peacock. So you don't have to oh, rent it. If you sign definitely. up for Peacock, Hostel 1 and 2, which I would dare say Hostel 2 is better than Hostel 1. They're both free on Peacock. Uh this is good. It's Eli Roth coming off a of cabin fever, getting a bunch of buzz from people like Quentin Tarantino and everybody saying, "Oh, this kid could be the future of horror." But I like what he did here. It, it's it's like, is this movie too dude bro or is it just enough dude bro? Because it's definitely a dude bro movie. So it's not catering to the ladies, at least hostile One isn't. But it works. <laughs> no, it works. I, I like this movie a lot. It's 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 not as gory as it's purported to be so. A lot, a lot of hype about this movie was, oh my god, it's so hard to watch, it's so gross. It's really not. A lot of the gross things happen off camera when you go back and revisit this movie. And a lot of the gross things that happen on camera are fucking awesome. I, I think Roth did a good job. Um, I don't know. I, I love this flick.
3: This movie is absolutely a classic in the horror genre, and you can see why. Um, I thought it was pretty gory, personally. Uh, I feel like we've been lacking in the gore department for the past couple weeks, so I think this satiated mm. uh, that that need yeah. that I that uh, was uh, was left uh, from the past couple weeks. But not only is this gory, it's also I'd say you know a commentary on how shitty rich people are in general. Uh, it was obviously a representation of the sex trafficking industry, rich people paying to do whatever they want to innocent people. Uh, It also kind of showed how the rest of the world hates Americans so, so, so much. Uh, Willing to pay 25 grand to kill one, boom, done. You can do it. You can do it here at the hostel. (laughs) Um, I would say the only thing I didn't love about it was like the homophobic, you know, fag dropped every like two minutes and like hard tease on that faggot all the time. But it happens, as we'll see in the in the next movie. There's a lot of uh, a lot of words uh, dropped that don't exactly hold up either. Uh, but as far as gore and and revenge goes, I thought this was a great film. I think it catered to this lady.
4: the moral of this week's movies was people on vacation act like douchebags and you know i like that about both movies um you know some of the the really like low brow macho stuff in Hostel. you kind of wonder if it's because of the time when it was made in the early 2000s or if it was you know, intended to be like, I'm going to make these characters unlikable. So I, I kind of question that with with both movies. But I like Hostel. Um, I like Hostel 2 much better. But, um, yeah, I thought it was great. Um, eyeball is <sighs> <sighs> very great.
3: Lest we forget about the Eyeball.
4: I was going through it uh, a second time, and uh, Caitlin had fallen asleep the night before, and I was watching it and i fell asleep and she saw the eyeball part coming up and she woke me up
3: (laughs) that's love (laughs) today
4: i was like thanks a lot for waking me up for that one scene like (laughs) you really you know me just like what oh oh the eyeball scene great squirt squirt (laughs) yeah the the questions about the bros loom
2: large over this and you know i forgot just how objectionable these bros are, like how hateable the characters are. And I think that's something that Eli Roth does, uh, kind of, that's like part of his thing. Um, cabin fever, also hostile to, even like um, his green inferno. He puts these like, he these characters to me are all like satirizations of the worst element of the ignorant, obnoxious, douchebag, American so that you kind of like you're not really pulling for them, at least certainly not initially. Like they're just so objectionable that uh, you, he throws them in the in the pit and then you
4: get to kind of watch them boil. I find the notion that uh, there are people that have so much money they can do whatever the fuck they want to you is pretty scary. Mm-hmm. It's a great concept. And I love the scary kid gang. That's like one of my favorite parts of Hostel.
1: Uh, it's like uh, we just talked about. Tigers are not afraid. It's like the the, the new little rascals. It's like <laughs> yeah. coming into our coming into our orbit. You got a different bunch, and uh, one of the kids even looked like uh, uh, Moro from Tigers are Not Afraid. He was like the leader of the Hostel gang, and it had and an Oliver
4: Twist vibe too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Well, this movie did not go over well with the uh, people of the country (laughs) of the Czech Republic uh, or Slovakia. They were not happy Mm -hmm. that Eli Roth portrayed them as, uh, like you said, you know, we're so we're so poor and impoverished that we are going to start a business that caters to paying rich people or, or, or taking rich people's money to kill people whether they be locals or foreigners, and the price goes up depending on which country you're from. And then you portrayed us, our children, as starving and out on the streets. So it's interesting we do this back-to-back with Tigers Are Not Afraid because they're two very different portrayals of a country and the children in that country. Um, and, and Roth is unapologetic. He, he actually said, look, people in America don't even know what Slovakia or the Czech Republic are.
2: One of my favorite scenes in this is when they get off the train at the destination near Bratislava and they realize they they look around and they're just in the middle of nowhere. It's totally uh, country, barren, nothing. And then they get in the cab to take them to the hostel and it's even more ominous, like it's just all burnt out husks of buildings. There's nothing green whatsoever. Everything is like dirt brown and rust. It's so scary. You have this really overwhelming feeling of like, this is like, where are we going? Of course, they get to the hamlet and it's all, it's all nice again. But I really liked that kind of foreshadow of what, you know, what, what was to come.
1: Well, and the hostel itself is like this lavish palace. There's saunas, you know, it looks like, you know, they show you like where they are. And, you know, there's like these looming, the looming factory in the background. But the hostel itself is like, you know, the Taj Mahal. And, you know, I think one of the things that I'll criticize this movie for is Paxton and Josh have so many opportunities to question what's happening. And they just don't. Like, they randomly meet some dude as they're kicked out of their first hostel in Amsterdam. And he's like, I, I can show you so many women. You just have to take this random train to this sketchy part of the world. And then they get there and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And then they get to their room and the girls are topless. And they're like, ooh, wrong room. And these beautiful girls are like, we're going to the sauna. You should come with us. Like, at no point are they like, and they're not bad looking dudes, know. but at no point are they like, maybe we should question what's happening. Like, this stuff yeah, seems I done a little it. out of our
4: league. Never. There's uh, there's other movies I watch where I'm just like, dude, what are you doing? You idiot, don't go in there. And in Hostel, I'm just like, I'd totally go there. Boobs. <laughs> oh, that's what i do. Yeah, yeah that's Boobs. what they were. I'd go with them. I would go to them. It looks like fun.
2: Yeah, that's what they were told to expect. They're going to be greeted as liberators, um, mm. so to speak, and, and they are by these beautiful babes.
3: Yeah, if I still had my booblog going, I would have been writing the whole movie. Just would have been like boobs, boobs, boobs. This boobs, whole week. This the whole week. It's a very booby week.
1: When they do show up at the factory, they were talking about did you guys notice uh, the first guy that Paxton talks to is Takashi Mike?
2: Oh, I didn't know that's who that was. Oh, I that's, love that guy. So,
1: so when he's like, well, like, how's the show? And he's like, be careful. You could spend all of your money in there. It's a cameo <laughs> yeah. by Takashi Mike, who I loved no Cabin idea. Fever.
2: Huh. Who is that? I don't know who that is. He's an extremist Japanese filmmaker. I'm sure you've seen some of his movies. They're like super wild over the top. Didn't he do Audition? Yes. Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah. Um, I think the moral of the story of this movie is that Whenever we uh, travel and go on our uh, Speak All Evil tour, we just have to tell everyone that we're Canadian.
2: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes.
1: Especially
4: now. And not we I mean, hats. These guys yeah. look like jerks anyway, but.
1: I do love this movie, but it doesn't age great, you know. Uh, Kat, I think, already mentioned, like, all the gay comments, like, oh, that's gay, and. People yelling at but people. If they're that, like, supposed they're
4: to be up. characters that you want to hate. Exactly. I, th- they're, they're I back. think so. They're...
1: I I don't. I mean, I I don't think so with Paxton. Like, I think that Eli Roth struggled to really put a definitive path down for what you're supposed to think about Paxton. But you know, there's other like comments where like they're showing you know Oli, their Icelandic friend who they met on this backpacking trip, is he he has disappeared. And they have previously met uh, a couple of Japanese people that are at the hospital, Kana and Yuki. And eventually, while they're looking for Oli, they get a text from Oli that shows him with Kana. And, you know, fucking Paxton just, like, yells out, like, Oli doesn't even like Asian chicks. There's a, l- a lot of lines in this movie that don't age well. Well, I think, I think th- that misses the point of the, the characters
2: are bad, they're like the worst american dude bros imaginable like that's that's the whole thing and that's a a rich tradition in horror is you're punishing bad characters you're punishing bad behavior with a moral uh, with a morality you know that's why you have these bad people that end up getting killed and tortured because they're bad and i think that the the character arc of of uh, paxton is pretty clear in that he is bad and he i think an important part that gets overlooked is he tells the story about when he was a kid, the girl that was drowning or whatever, and he, he ran to get help. But the way he tells the story, it, it kind of hints that he doesn't think that he did enough, that he still feels guilty about this incident where maybe instead of running to get help like a scared little boy, he should have like done something direct and he could have maybe saved this girl. So then at the end of the movie... He kind of gets a chance to revisit that situation with one of the other captives, and he makes the total—I mean, he's pretty much out of there. Certainly, he's very close to being out of there, and he makes that decision to risk his own life and risk everything he's just gone through to go back and help someone. So I thought that that was the
4: Paxton arc. I thought it was pretty clear. If I saw this movie one time and I didn't see the rest of Eli Roth's uh, career— I would maybe question whether it was homophobic or whatever but after seeing everything in Eli Roth's career all he does is create characters that are so hateable and that's like a lot of his stories revolve around those people so I think that mm-hmm. it was less of it was to have shock in every aspect of the movie
1: if you go at Cabin Fever he he puts on screen a bunch of amazingly annoying clichéd horror characters that you you want them to die. He does the same thing in Hostel. He does the same thing in the Green Inferno. Like he seems mm. to have like a real contempt for the characters that he's writing into Definitely. his movies where you yeah. want them yeah. to die. Was, he makes you dislike yeah.
2: environmental activists in the Green Inferno. <laughs> <'cause> they're, like, <laughs> they're the most shallow because they're totally like shallow, like yeah. bullshit social media activists. You know, they're not serious. And then he just lets them get eaten.
3: Yeah, yeah. I wasn't trying to say I didn't think like this whole movie was homophobic. It's just like watching these movies back. A lot of the times, like I'll hear those words. I'm like, it's kind of a
1: shock. Ooh. Yeah, you know,
3: it's just like it irks you. You're like, ooh, ooh that was a, f- ooh, you know, like.
1: To me, watching this again through the lens of the show, I actually found it like 15 years after it came out, it was more fun to dissect everything leading up. To the to the final reveal of the factory and the torture and the real gore. I actually found that part of the movie more interesting to dissect and talk about than the payoff, if you will. And that's air quotes payoff than the gore payoff. I thought that was like way more interesting than when they just pulled the curtain back and they were like, let's just fuck up a bunch of tourists.
2: Did you guys notice the Texas Chainsaw Massacre tribute? when the torturer of Paxson busts out the chainsaw, and then when he falls down, the, the chainsaw falls and cuts mm-hmm. him on the leg the exact same spot uh, as Leatherface, except, yeah. except it, yeah. it's a much worse wound than Leatherface sustained. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> well, the the final thing that I'll read probably much too deeply into this movie, but I think that when you look back on it for the time, I think it's relevant. This was released in September of 2005. You're knee-deep, and this, this has come up in other movies from that time. You're knee-deep in the Iraq War. The Bush administration has approved enhanced interrogation techniques, quote unquote, which is basically light torture or lighter torture than happens in hostile. And this is only um, the release is the following year after the Abu Ghraib um, prison torture scandal. So this whole national conversation is going on at this time about torture, about international standards, about standards that the United States has held itself to previously, uh, at least on paper and the degradation of those standards, and then the uh, horrific sort of public airing of what was really going on in Iraq in U.S.-controlled prisons and uh, how horrible it was. So I think that, to me, that's a pretty obvious sort of, at least a historical context for some of the ideas that are presented here.
1: Well, the whole history of the movie is that Quentin Tarantino loved this movie. When Eli Roth first did Cabin Fever, he became the it guy in the horror world. So he was offered... Uh, The Last House on the Left remake, the Fog remake. He was offered a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. He was given, like, carte blanche to come up with an original idea and do a TCM entry. He turned them all down, and Tarantino said, look, do something original. So he had been sort of digging around on the Internet, and he had allegedly found this Thai murder site on the dark web where they were offering money to kill people. And he went to Tarantino and said, I want to do like a mockumentary around this. But they couldn't really dig in and find any credible info to infuse with their fictional part of it. And they also allegedly were a little scared. How deep do you really want to dig into the real world of people paying to kill people? And so Tarantino said, come up with something original and, you know, I'll put my name on it. And that's how the whole thing came about. Um, I don't necessarily think that Eli Roth is the kind of guy that's like really thinking about uh, politics and no, no. society. I, no, no. I, I mean, I, I
2: grant, I grant that I'm obviously reading too much into it, but I think that's part of historical perspective. When you look at art, I think that that's kind of the fun and that's the luxury of having hindsight is that you can look back sometimes and place some things in larger context, even if that wasn't necessarily the meaning of the artist at the time. Who knows? He was just trying to make a splatter movie.
1: Right. And I, I was going to say it, c- it could definitely be a subconscious thing because of the time he was in. And, and, and I'm not going to discount the fact that horror oftentimes, lean, like comedy, horror oftentimes leans very heavily on what is going on at the moment and makes it that much more impactful. But you're right. Trent. Th- this could be 50 50. It's two sides of a coin. It, it could have been intentional. It could have been unintentional. But, the, you know, your your point is valid. It's it's still very relevant. I'm going.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing, my other favorite thing, or one of them about this movie, is the turn that the hostile gals take. They're presented in very like Vaseline lens uh, model sort of light for most yeah, of Snapchat
1: the Snapchat filters.
2: Yeah, but then when when all when Oli is missing yeah. and Josh is gone, and then Paxton finds the girls at their local disgusting dive bar, they're like hunched over in a booth want you have a drink you know they're like really gross the <laughs> eyes on, and they show their i like
4: them more like that
2: yeah, that's when they that's when dave started
4: really like oh to- you're gonna bring me to the underworld <laughs> follow these Ooh. girls
3: that's so funny i didn't even notice that but looking back i'm like wow they did look a little rough around the edges on the second look
1: actually it's even more progressive like every time you see them the closer they get to being done with their task. And we're talking about uh, Natalia and Svetlana, who are the two, two of the antagonists uh, that get our our poor Paxton and Josh and Oli the worms into this bullshit. Yeah, it's it's even more like it, once you notice that when you rewatch the movie it's very progressive like they are keeping themselves together less and less and less even the teeth
2: like at the end it, it starts showing their teeth aren't really white anymore they're like kind of like brown looking not haven't seen a dentist in a while and then the, the iconic line my favorite of this whole thing i get a lot of money for you and that make you my bitch yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs>
3: I did I did audibly laugh at that point. I was like, ha-ha! And then I was like, oh, no, I, I shouldn't be cheering for them. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs>
1: the, other, the other thing that Eli Roth loves to do, and this goes back to, like, Cabin Fever, is he likes to pit people uh, against, you know, he likes to pit some kids that go out to party against the locals. So Cabin Fever, they're going out into the woods, and they have to fight some hillbillies. Hostel. They're going out to a foreign country and they have to fight the locals. Uh, Green Inferno. They're going out into the jungle. You know, he loves to sort of like assemble this gang that he's gonna put in a situation where they have to fight people that are 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 local to the situation or more entrenched in you know, be it geographical or societal in that situation. Um, But I, I, what I love about this movie. And I don't know how you guys feel about the term torture porn, but I love what this movie did I feel good in the world of criticism. Is the conversations that this particular movie sparked about torture porn. This movie was really the birth of the term torture porn. It it it, it applies retroactively to movies like Saw that got lumped in with the torture porn movement. Um and I love reading some of the reviews where they're like look torture porn is just a cop-out for a a critic to not watch a movie or to not actually watch it with any sort of brain in their head and i love that roth was able to do that again i don't think he did it intentionally but i think he stumbled onto something that really added to his legacy
4: what i've felt like with eli roth a lot of times we talk about uh you know the directors are ultimately at the helm of all these movies. And Eli Roth has not progressed, but he's not gotten worse. I feel like every movie that comes out by Eli Roth, I kind of know what to expect, and it's kind of just the same. Um, It's not necessarily a bad thing. I like consistency. Um, But this is one of his best, for sure.
2: Yeah, I, I hate the tag, torture porn, and that actually kept me away from Hostel at the time. I avoided it. I even avoided it when it came on a video because I was like, "Oh, torture porn, Ugh.
4: Uh, it's so dumb." And so I, I, would I find have... you put porn on the end of anything; it makes it better. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you can, you can call. Kitty. I mean. Kitty not always Oh yeah you're right Yeah not always Not always <laughs> You could call a lot of horror movies Torture porn It just was kind of a Zeitgeist A kind of buzzword And again It kept me away from the movie So I don't I You know Whatever I mean Texas t- Chainsaw Massacre Is torture porn If you want to uh, Really
4: If you want to masturbate to it <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait you guys don't
4: oh, damn. <laughs> oh, no, I, I only
1: do that to oh. Hostel too. it's the hotter one for the ladies. (laughs) I agree that it's a total cop out. It was like a very easy tag to put on a bunch of movies that people didn't want to watch. But you have to give hostile respect because it opened up that discussion about what violence is too violent. You know, and and Eli Roth himself was shocked when this movie he submitted the cut that we see expecting to get an NC-17. And they came back with a rated R. And he was like, "Okay, great other countries didn't didn't agree so he, he did have to cut it for for foreign distribution but i love that it like opened up this conversation because think about it the most of the torture scenes are done off screen all of the kills yeah. that you really see viscerally are done by paxton when he fucking starts whooping ass to get the hell out of the situation
2: you don't really see that much torture. That's the trick. I think it's a very effective yeah. trick. You think that you're seeing all this like crazy graphic torture, but you're really not. It cuts away. You don't really see that much. Obviously, there are some payout scenes, the eyeball and things like that. But you realize, especially once you've seen it a few times, yeah, the ankle. But I mean, that's, that's uh, pedestrian. That's in uh, many a movie. You don't really see that much torture. I don't pedestrian. know if it's in
4: many movies. It's in a couple.
2: It's the, in ankle a couple. the
4: ankle severing ankle thing. The that's pet, in Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Sure. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's, that's a, one yeah. The same <laughs> time. It still hurts. Oh, guys! I'll get back guys, to the you. Guys, the cruise ship's here. Get your stuff.
1: We gotta get on. At the Copa, <laughs> Copa, Cabana. Hold on. I, I just want a, a quick info dump on Hostel. Uh, <laughs> oh. sorry. I mean,
3: we're on vacation. Look, th- this know. was this was, was made
1: business. This was made for under five million dollars. It made eighty two million dollars at the box office. Whew, Unbelievable that's a return. Big one. The Dutch businessman that you're talking about, Trent, that feels up Josh on the train and ends up, you know, being an antagonist. Uh, ultimately, in the third act, he didn't speak English at all. I I recognize. I thought I recognized that actor, and I looked him up, and I don't know him from anything else. But he, like, was he not a very familiar face to you guys when you saw yeah. him? like appear. He on does screen? look familiar. Yeah, doesn't speak English at all. So everything that you saw him speak, he had to learn phonetically. Uh, A common thing about this movie is that it was produced by Tarantino. He did not put a dollar into Hostel. He literally just told Eli Eli Roth, go make an original movie, and I'll let you put my name on it. You said that. The room that they stay in, that Josh and Paxton get to, is is room number 237, which is an homage to The Shining. At... uh, Later in the movie, when we finally get to the factory, you see a guard watching a porno movie. That porno movie is actually Sex Fever, a porn parody of Eli Roth's Cabin Fever.
3: Oh. Wow! <laughs> oh. When they
1: first get back from their night in Amsterdam, uh, their night where they can't in Amsterdam where they can't get back into the hostel because they've surpassed curfew, there is one of the people yelling. From the window and throwing bottles at them is actually a shirtless Quentin Tarantino who showed up to do a cameo in the movie. Trent, quick, cut to cut to commercial. Cue <laughs> Coca
4: cabana he's fact spiraling. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Wait, he hasn't got. Kevin, <laughs>
1: you missed something. You know e- Eli Roth has a cameo in this in the bar in a Boston Red Sox jersey because Eli Roth oh, yeah. is from Newton, Mass.
3: Years ago, Coconut Pete had a hit record, but now he runs a tropical island resort where he spends his days basking in hedonism with the rest of the resort's offbeat staff. The paradise he presides over, however, becomes a living hell when an unknown killer begins slaughtering the staff. As the body count rises, so too does suspicion amongst the survivors. Now it's up to what's left of the staff to solve the mystery and stop the bloodshed. I'm, of course, talking about uh, the acclaimed film Club Dread. This might be the stupidest movie I've ever made you guys watch, including Leprechaun in Space <laughs> and 13 Ghosts. Thank you. Everyone's favorite?
4: Definitely not.
3: I'm a little sorry for making you watch it, but not really. Um, but mostly I was sorry because it's just very much uh, in the made in the early 2000s and the jokes don't really hold up category. Uh, but you know, a, a good portion of the jokes, are racist, good portion are homophobic. Al- most of them are sexist. It's basically Scooby Doo with a lot of boobs. Mm. Scooby boobs is what <laughs> I is what I like to call it. Uh, but other than that, soundtrack's great. Uh, Coconut Pete forever. Daddy Paxton coming through. Ten out of ten. Love that wig. Uh, we might all be stupider for watching this. Uh, What did you guys think?
4: I actually liked Club Dread, uh, even though I dreaded watching it because I'd never seen it before. And on paper, this doesn't really, I was like, this can't really be a horror movie. But I do kind of like those outskirts horror movies. Um, Sometimes there's just enough horror in it. And like this one was like, whodunit. Uh, 100% uh, that kind of had me with it. And I had misguessed who done it like a few times before the end. And then they just overdo it at the end. But uh, I vacationed in Costa Rica um, and it was scary and decadent. And there were like Jimmy Buffett wannabes. And um, it was a lot more uh, like rich white people. Than I, than I expected going to Costa Rica. Um, it was just like I was in South Portland or something, but you know, there was a few more amenities and some you know, Jimmy Buffett going constantly. Um, but Broken Lizard is kind of close to us. Uh, Trent and I uh, play in a band called Paranoid Social Club, and uh, Broken Lizard, this production company, used uh, our song Wasted in their movie Beer Fest, uh, and they portrayed us so cool uh, because it was like they show up to this party that Willie Nelson is throwing at the end and Willie Nelson is bumping our tune. So like I will love Broken Lizard forever for immortalizing our music that way. Um, and I, I actually really like Club Dread. Uh, I was about to talk some smack about it going into this, um, but I watched it today for the first time and I realized that it's like a perfect marriage because Broken Lizard are the masters of creating the quintessential mortal meathead, uh, the character that everyone's like, just die, just die, just this guy needs to die. He's so bad. Carmen's gonna come get him. Um, so I love that about it. And I, at first, what seemed like it would be like too campy and too stupid, I was like, all right, well, this isn't too far off from any great '80s slasher, uh, which are very like tongue-in-cheek, and you have to take them kind of like differently than you take other movies you have to uh give them a pass in regards to some things and i think if you put like an old 80s filter on this movie um that it would kind of hold up and i think that it would have not been in the comedy uh genre i think it would have gone in the horror genre if it had come out back in the day um so it's kind of you know uh on par with like regular run-of-the-mill slashers and i like that this movie had a guy in a mask in a mask at one point like if that you know one mask does not like fuck up your your vision and your agility you put on another mask so they don't know that it's the guy in the mask in the mask i really like that um scooby-doo uh meets survivor um my favorite lines from this movie were there was, like, a really gruff, like, the macho guy that, that comes along. Uh, he was almost like the guy from Jaws. What's the guy? Uh, come on. Quint. He, was, he had, kind of had a Quint vibe from Jaws. And he's like, when you're all done with your pink panty meltdown, you know, he's like, I'm ready to, you know, get this guy. Um, which I liked how that uh, plot line unfurled as well. Um, but my other favorite line of the movie is oh my asshole
5: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well you know i'm suddenly
2: feeling a little more generous about this movie i got to say while i was watching it i was very unhappy i had a a bad time at a bad time watching this movie i really i kind of hated it but now looking back it's so benign it's just It's awful in such a ridiculous, like harmless way that I don't know, did I hate it? I know that I hated those 95 minutes. I definitely, I definitely hated them. I was glad that like I watched this like late at night, one night I had nothing else that I could possibly have been doing that would have been productive. I didn't really, there was nothing I was really like dying to watch at that moment. So I was like, all right, here we go. I had never seen it before either. (sighs) <sighs> I mean, some good opening murders. I liked that it got you—you know—right out the gate. You're chopping off heads. You're having sex in the cemetery. You got uh, nudity. You got a guy wearing a shark tooth necklace. Very early aughts. I did appreciate. There's one very clear Jaws sort of uh, reference here, where, but instead of when when Quint is introduced in, in Jaws, where he's at like the town meeting, and he's he just drags his nails down the chalkboard to get everyone's attention. In this movie, the Quint, who's named Hank, he just starts slurping super loud on an empty <laughs> oh, yeah, drink. It was, like, it's just... It's just, <laughs> it's just so, a yeah, the slurping is like the nail dragging. Um, you know, there were some good kills. I thought the finale was really good. Our old friend Bill Paxton is back in the most unexpected form. I would not have expected to see him here after all these times we have enjoyed... Uh, his uh, his performances in various movies. I thought he was pretty good as the what's his name Island Pete guy. Peaches Pete. Pete. Coconut. Coconut Pete is the Jimmy Buffett kind of guy. Classic I didn't appreciate dude. the I didn't appreciate his songs at all. I thought if you're going to do a Margarita you don't
3: want to
2: go to Pina colada No, P- Pina When he said the title, I was like, oh, it's going to be kind of a funny take on Margaritaville, but um, it's I, not. Yeah,
4: I did think the songs fell short a little bit.
2: Yeah, not funny. My favorite line was, what in the Queen's wig is going on here? And that's spoken by, I guess, a British guy who wears a very racist, like, dreadlock wig the whole time. Um, I don't know. Uh, Again, I'm softening on this, I guess, a little bit now, but I certainly would never watch it again.
1: I went to see this in the theaters in 2004. And then somehow ended up buying a DVD because this was in the height of, you know, DVD collecting. I love I I love this movie. And it's weird. I, I probably this movie was probably in my in my universe from like 2004 to 2006. And then I completely forgot about it. I probably watched it like 10, 11 times and then didn't revisit it until February of 2021. So thank you, Kat. This movie came out at a time when slashers were dead. So, Broken Lizard, the, the comedy troupe that wrote and directed this movie and acted in it, they were coming off of Super Troopers, which is a massive cult classic. Everybody knows and loves Super Troopers, I think. I do. And, you know, there were no slasher movies coming out. So, we have to think about timing. This movie came out in 2004. So why wasn't this successful? Because it wasn't. It was made for $9 million, made $8 million at the box office. I'm guessing if dumbasses like myself bought a DVD that there are millions of other dumbasses like me, and it probably did okay in the, in, in the home video circuit. But think about it. What else came out in 2004? Shaun of the Dead. Okay, so we're going to throw out a horror comedy that's going to try to compete with Shaun of the Dead. That's not happening. Also, like I said, slashers were done. You know, zombies were in, in 2004. I mean, look at 2004 horror movies. You had things like Saw. You had things like j that was raging. You know, you had The Grudge, Shudder, One Miss Call. I mean, the, the movies coming out were bleaker. They were meaner. Uh, Or you had a current trend, like I said, zombies going for it. So, I mean, you still had Resident Evil, like, raging at the box office. You had a fucking Anaconda sequel, The Search for the Blood Orchid. Like, you had Blade Trinity coming out. This movie was destined to fail because it came out either five or six years too early or five or six years too late. But you know what? For somebody like me that loves all of the tropes that they were playing upon, all of the corny slashers, the I know what you did last summer's, the screams, everything, I, I, I just don't see how you can have a problem with this movie. I fucking I laughed at it. I really appreciated the fact that in the back half of this movie, it went like straight horror. You know, they, they still tried to throw some comedy elements into it. But it went straight horror. It went total slasher movie. I, I don't know. I I I will fight somebody about uh, my love for Club Dread. Wow.
3: My favorite. Uh, my, I uh my text that I received from Trent out of the blue. Not out of the blue, but uh, without any um, provocation, was just so Club Dread, and so I was like, Oh no, was it so bad? And he goes oh, I watched it, you should check it out. <laughs> I was like, oh, Trent didn't like this movie. Oh, I checked it out all right. And um, it was, uh, I, I had watched it so many times when I was younger because it came out right when I was, like, start, I think I was, like, a freshman in high school when it came out. So I was like, this is great. It's a horror comedy. Look, boobs. Look at all these boobs I get to look at. Yeah,
4: to be honest, to be honest the boobs, I think, are really what makes it sufferable
3: the boobs are aggressive
4: uh because uh, for sure they are there are a lot of boobs uh i thought they were they were Small great boobs, boobs i thought all boobs, the boobs and speak boobs, were very good
2: boobs all the boobs i would expect a, a comedy troupe a, a a practiced experienced comedy troupe to be funny at least once in in like you know an hour and 45 minutes i mean Oh, there are a laughed. bunch of funny
1: there moments in one this chuckle, movie. Are you kidding me?
3: One chuckle from you, Trent? No. Yeah,
1: I laughed a bunch. Not like when, when Brittany Snow's character, uh, Jenny, who's like Amy Aerobics, is like, well, you know, some girls are tighter than others. You didn't. And the dude just that spits in her face. I was like, that. That, was
2: <laughs> that was funny. That was funny. Not
4: not funny. Uh, not You know, there were some good kills. So yeah, I'm not
2: saying that I hate it.
4: I thought when he was trying to fend uh, off the the killer... With the tennis racket and tennis balls. I laughed out loud when when that was happening. That was pretty absurd. But I liked that it wasn't funny. Because I expected it to be all... Like, trying to be funny. It was too long. But I expected it to be... Like, I liked that it went more like slasher. Because it's never put in a a horror movie categorization. You know what?
2: There was one part that I did laugh. Uh, I forgot. When um, Putnam... Putnam has found the old newspaper clipping about uh, about how Coconut Pete was responsible for the deaths of one of the character's family or whatever. And he very dramatically towards the end, he busts out the newspaper clipping like, ah, I've got the secret history. And they're like, yeah, everybody knew that, dude. Tone deaf. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You just bring it
3: up. That's so rude.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of funny. Putnam, Putman, Putman. It's not Put. It's what Putman. It he himself is a hilarious character, and that's also the director of the movie. Oh, huh. and one Jay. of the broken lizard mm. tube guys. Yeah, so you have Jay uh, car Sure. Mm. Yeah, I, I think his character's hilarious. I think all of it. I think that Lars, Kevin Heffernan, the masseuse. Uh, playing Lars I think that's fucking hilarious like the amount of times he uses his magic fingers on on stupid shit all of that is totally funny Uh, and like Dave said like this movie really does get more horror than you would ever expect it actually gets more horror than Shaun of the Dead and I'm not I'm not Mm. saying that this is above Shaun of the Dead I'm just talking about why I I like this movie I'm talking about why I like this movie Uh, okay all right Um, all right
3: i will say there is one character i think we all as a society could have done without and that was the white guy playing juan and doing that terrible accent pretending to be a person of color i don't think that was a necessary character
1: you mean juan castillo who is named after who is whose name translates into johnny castle and was supposed to be Patrick Swayze from Dirty Dancing.
2: Oh, well, yep, that one. That guy looks—he uh, yeah. looks very much like someone I know. So that was kind of funny. Uh, somebody that I really dislike. Um, and so like Kevin. Yeah, no. He, do you think he looks like Kevin? <laughs> no. It's the jokes, Trent. Uh, so I, I liked that. I thought like. Oh, that's that's that guy. No, not that anybody would probably know. Um, I did like the, the DJ death with the, yes. the, that was great. There's like a head on a turntable. Very, very good. Um, there The whole mud bath sequence, that's from another movie. Did we, And I don't know if we watched it. What movie? There's another movie that has a whole mud bath scene where they're looking for the killer and it's like hiding in the mud bath or something. Does that ring any bells for anyone else?
1: No. No, oh,
4: there's a movie like a a hunted sort of movie where someone hides in a maybe it's uh, the hills have eyes or something. Predator. Someone hides in a uh, outhouse, and they submerge. Yeah. Oh, that's hills have eyes too. Yeah, they submerge no, themselves in the <laughs> sewage. <laughs> it's
2: a yeah, human it's a mud bath. bath. It's a poop bath. <laughs> I, I was
1: thinking mud of um, Wanted. I was thinking of the movie Wanted. Uh, with Angelina Jolie where uh, they do have the similar types of bath set up and they put their warriors in them to heal. Um, but yeah. probably not.
4: No, like I'll, I'll find it. Speaking of mud bath, cat, you want to head hmm. down to the spa after uh, happy hour?
3: Oh, yeah. St- cruise ship. Is it all inclusive down there?
4: It is. Yeah.
3: Mm. We don't got to tip nobody.
4: I'm going to get the, the waffle batter enema. And that's what
3: I was gonna suggest for you. So that's a, that's good that you uh, ki- that you want that the
4: quinoa facial.
3: Mm.
1: Kevin, mm-hmm. I have any of you guys ever gone to uh, Orel Roberts School?
4: No, that that's a funny joke. The, he says that I Dirty like that. Sanchez and all that stuff.
1: It's a real school. That's a, oh. an actual school,
4: right?
2: I'm like, I don't get it. Uh, I got the mud bath reference. It's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. How could we Ooh. forget so quickly? Oh, Ooh, that's yes. A t- that's a we haven't that on the pod. Cool. That's a total intentional cool. homage to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So there's a lot of those things going on I think that you can pick up, and I might have been too annoyed to p- pick up all of them, but I definitely did get some of them.
3: There's one that I thought of. Um, I don't know if it was intentional, but from uh, the uh, – fuck, Christmas. Which one did we talk about? Uh, K- Christmas Carol? No. Nope. The other one. Sub
4: silent type. night deadly uh, night fucking oh thank the, you oh so
3: no. i don't know if it was intentional but silent night deadly night when he's like naughty <laughs> Wait,
2: <laughs> oh, they write right. naughty yeah, on yeah. the people's right. bodies totally. and the whole time i was yeah, like Silent night, yeah. deadly night so yeah that's got to be
3: intentional
4: be. um you know the have you guys all seen uh once upon a time in hollywood yes i have
0: yeah.
4: yep when i was watching that movie i was watching it and watching it and I was like this movie's Fucking too long I've had enough Same Joke's over and then all of a sudden It flips Yes And it's like oh my god I'm, I'm You're trolling me right now I'm so glad that You know I waited for it And you made me wait for it And you were like you know, flipping history or whatever they do in that one. But this movie does that too by faking the ending over and over and over again. You just keep thinking it's over. I love it. And yeah, that's that was a high point for me, especially the last one. The last one is <laughs> the great. last return. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I, I always I always look at these movies And I'm like, oh, man, this is an hour and 43 minutes. Like, what can Club Dread possibly have to offer that takes me almost two hours? Not enough. And then I noticed that there was a direct, like, an extended version. Oh, my God. That added 15 minutes.
5: Ooh. And I was
1: like, when I went to rent it on Prime, because you can't, I don't think you can find this anywhere for streaming right now. I went to rent it on Prime and I was like, well, I should do the extended version because, you know, what am I going to miss? <laughs> and it was like not available in your area. And then I like watched the hour and 43 minute version and was like, what could you possibly give me 15 more minutes of? Like this movie should have actually been an hour yeah. and 10 minutes. Maybe 20. Yeah. Um, yeah.
4: I watched this movie with Ben's Been Dead today here. Did he and, love it? Uh, uh, he said it's one of the worst movies he's ever seen. <gasps> I yes. said, this could have been 20 minutes shorter, and he said, this could have been 20 minutes.
2: Oh. Well, so, well tell, ben, tell
1: Ben that he will soon be dead.
2: I agree. You know, that the final climax, though, the final, final, final climax is a great sequence. Awesome kill at the end, and then the whole, like, they're doing Friday the 13th kind of, you know, a, serial killer who won't die I did like the very final sequence I was like finally something you know
4: halfway interesting here
2: like I said if I
4: judge just this like it was an 80s movie it would be sleepaway camp it's a fair point it would be close to something like oh that. there's
2: even the scene at the at the campfire where he tells the story and then <laughs> they, the tuck the, yeah, the tuck the tuck scene is sort of a it's a reverse sleepaway Double camp yeah <laughs>
1: One of my favorite characters in the entire movie, and uh, we've already talked about uh, the poor accent of one of the characters, but his love interest is uh, Penelope.
3: Penelope?
1: I absolutely love that we get Jordan Ladd in this movie playing Penelope, who uh, is, her her love interest pronounces it Penelope. Mm -hmm. Who's Jordan Ladd?
4: Besides Uh, this lady
1: cabin fever uh death proof she's done a couple cronenberg movies huh. you know jordan Ladd. Yeah. interesting
3: well she's got low and wide boobs so i we know that don't about her don't hate it. It. low like and wide them. what does I'm that not mean Did, uh,
1: explain to me low and wide boobs
3: so you can't see at home but it they goes go, down they go toward the armpits it's like down
4: here. Yeah, I I don't mind that. It's I'm it's natural. I'm not saying
3: anything about it. I'm just stating that's. I know what her boobs look like
4: because you think her I've boobs are them. fake or real? They're
3: absolutely fake. Her body hmm. could not produce those boobs in that fashion. Okay. I'm not here, and I and I love mm. fake boobs. This
2: is a real low point <laughs> of the boobs. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Listen, I'm Irish Area Catholic.
3: Left. My boobs are already at the floor, and I'm not even 30 yet. Like, gravity's taken its toll. I'm not here to shame any boobs. I'm just stating for the viewers at home what those boobs look like. Mm. So when you inevitably watch Club Dread viewers at home, that's uh, that's what they look like. You're, you're welcome.
4: Well, I feel like if you have the, the sort of uh, spectrum that I have, mm. uh, that you might enjoy them. So um,
3: everybody loves. Don't I love necessarily, all necessarily
4: boob fans out there. Don't go away. You might like this. This might be for no, you. I um, club dread.
3: I'm pro all boobs. I just I club just know what boob. they all look like now. So and I and I like
1: that. Bill Paxton has been daddy of the week. I think multiple times mm. on this show,
5: mm-hmm.
1: even if we haven't necessarily officially called it out. But Bill Paxton, how the fuck did he end up in this movie? Well, I he was ended up wondering. in this movie. Because the, the Broken Lizard gang reached out to him and said, we have this movie. We would love for you to check it out. And Paxton was going on vacation with his family and his wife and his children. And he was going to be gone for like three months. And they were like, by the way, we've done this movie, Super Troopers. So he was like, sure, send me a copy. Well, Paxton was on vacation at his uh at whatever camp I'm sure he has, I'm sure it was luxurious. And all he had was a VHS. He, he had a VCR.
5: Sounds luxurious.
1: Yeah, he had a VCR. <laughs> well, the purpose was to get his family away from technology and to like, you know, just sort of hang out for like 3 months. So they finally they finally got him a copy of Super Troopers on VHS mailed to his his camp and he watched it months later and said I want in on Club Dread mm. and I'm sorry I, I know that we all have a soft spot for Bill Paxton but his performance in this movie is incredible the scene in the kitchen where he is making coconut Pete's famous paella and he's yelling at the two employees about what the secret ingredient could be and, he f- and they finally get it. Well, it's fucking coconut, obviously. And he wings something at the wall, and the camera immediately cuts back to the two employees, and they're trying not to laugh. Like, Paxton's performance in this movie is awesome. His shitty guitar playing, his shitty singing, like, all of it just makes me love and miss Bill Paxton even more than I thought I could.
4: I just want to cheer for, you know, Broken Lizard because they are the quintessential indie heroes that we always talk about in horror. And even though this is their only, uh, you know, excursion into, into horror movies, um, it's cool that they're independent and they've done everything themselves. And you see that they write and direct and they are the music supervisors and they're acting in the movie. And that's what it's all about, especially in our, our genre. Uh,
1: I also love this, 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 To me captures the movie the best and this is roger ebert himself before he passed watching club dread and reviewing it so roger ebert says do i recommend this movie or not i am at a loss to say why are you even reading a review of club dread you've seen the tv ads and you already know a you won't miss it or b not in a million years There will be better movies playing in the same theater, even if it is a duplex. But on the other hand, (laughs) there is something to be said for goofiness without apology by broken lizards who just want to have fun. Mm. That sums this movie up perfectly. That is a great spot to end, isn't it?
5: Mm. Yes.
2: Uh, Because you're working me back to where I hated it. And now I don't know, I was I was getting I was feeling generous for a while. Now, <laughs> oh, you, now you're back to you've here. worked me all uh, the way you... back around. <laughs> you <laughs>